0: Okay, three, two, one, oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day, my name is Zach Shomler. this is Strong Opinion Sports, thank you so very much for tuning in, today's Monday, November 25th, it's very late at night, um, Monday Night Football has happened, I really enjoyed the game, I know it was a blowout, uh, The we'll get into it. I found myself, despite the blowout, incredibly entertained. I know I'm weird. I just love the game of football. It's my favorite thing in the world. And I can watch Lamar Jackson all night. Oh, my gosh. It was a blast. Uh, We'll talk about that. I'm just fired up, man. I could, like, run a marathon tonight. I am in—this is two shows in a row now. I'm like, I feel great. I'm ready to go. I got good content for you guys. Uh, I want to start today's show by giving a very, very special thank you to our sponsor, Bespoke Post. Thank you to Bespoke Post for sponsoring today's episode. New subscribers to their service can get 20% off their first box with the promo code STRONG20. That's STRONG, all caps, STRONG20. Best Spoke, be spoke BespokePost.com. Uh, they sent me this flannel. I love it. Uh, th- this is what I got in my first box. I got a flannel and a hat. This is the best flannel I own. Like bar you know, bar none, I wear it all the time. I had a meeting the other day with Pac-12 Network. What did I wear? I was like, well, well I'm going to wear my new flannel because it's awesome. It's literally the best shirt I own as far as flannels and going out and looking good. Um, and I, I mean, it's high quality. I love it. I'm a fan. And uh, if you want to, this is my words. They didn't tell me to say this. I'm just going to go on a tangent on my own. If you're a person who's looking to upgrade your household items, like you got out of college, you have your first job, expendable income, and you're like, hey, all my stuff is kind of mismatched crap, and I want to update my stuff. Use Bespoke Post. They will give you household items that are not crap, and they'll be things you're going to be proud of for the next 10 years. I liked working with them. They were good people. And I made a whole video about their service on my own personal YouTube channel. Go to Zach Schaumler. Just look up Zach Shamler on YouTube. You can find more about it. Uh, I want to start today with the Ravens. The Ravens just beat the Rams 45-6. to 6. And uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. Oh, my gosh. First of all, the Rams, the L.A. Rams are now 6-5. and five, And it's wild how far they have fallen. I understand. They went to the Super Bowl last year, and it's a Super Bowl hangover. We see it with almost every team. Almost, I say almost, but almost every team that goes to the Super Bowl the next year, the following year, has a struggle. Especially when you lose the Super Bowl. It's rough. And right now, giving Todd Gurley a big contract, giving Jared Goff, their quarterback, a big contract— Those decisions look terrible tonight from my house looking out. It's like, oh my gosh, that's awful. Todd Gurley last night had six carries and 22 yards rushing. No show. And look, they they weren't even trying to run the ball with Todd Gurley last night. Jared Goff, no touchdowns, two interceptions, doesn't look good, hasn't looked good all year. You can blame the offensive line, but right now, those two star players that they gave gigantic contracts to, it doesn't look like they're panning out. It doesn't look good. I gotta say, this is a, a side note, a tangent. In case you did not watch the game, I recommend you go look up the highlights on YouTube. Um, the uniforms in this game were phenomenal. This is a, a weird aside. Like I, I loved watching it. You had the the Rams, the home team, in all yellow, and then the away team, the Baltimore Ravens, in all purple, and just on the field it looked really cool. I love anytime you can get a chance to. Make the away team not wear white uniforms because it's so cliche. You know, you wear white uniforms, whether it's gray or it's a color rush uniform like it was tonight. I really, really love the uniform combination tonight. Just weird. If you haven't seen it, go look it up on YouTube. It's awesome. Now, if you've been keeping track tonight, Monday Night Football, the Ravens beat the Rams 45 to 6. And last Sunday, oh, they beat the Texans 41 to 7. Right now, the Rams, excuse me, the Ravens, right now the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, their quarterback, they are dismantling other NFL teams. It's like, it's such a blast to watch. Just because Lamar Jackson is is such a fun style of football to enjoy. And I want to just really quickly say, next Sunday, the Ravens play the 49ers which is a potential, it's going to be an incredibly good matchup. A great defensive line with the San Francisco 49ers against Lamar Jackson and in that incredibly efficient, successful running game. That could be a Super Bowl preview. I just want to say now, uh, if you're looking forward to anything in the world of sports, look forward to that game. It is going to be a blast. Now, I have two major takeaways for the Baltimore Ravens side of things after tonight's game. Number one, Lamar Jackson's phenomenal. It's really wild watching the, Rams defense you know, watching the Rams defense tonight was really interesting I a friend of mine a guy I played in high school with former teammate Samson Ibukom plays defensive end for the Rams he played at Eastern Washington he played with me at David Douglas high school and the Rams had a great game plan for guys like Samson guys like their defensive ends what they did you know Samson by the way had eight tackles one and a half sacks phenomenal Uh, I think saying he's my friend is a bit of a stretch but I think we're close enough I could get him on the show we went to high school together I visited him once in college um it's been—I really liked what the Rams did. They were really smart. What they did is say they didn't have their defensive ends rush upfield in passing situations. They said, we're going to keep Lamar Jackson in front of you. Let Aaron Donald create a bunch of pressure up the middle. Stay, contain outside. So what the defensive ends would do, guys like Samson, they'd run out, they would not go very far upfield, keep Lamar Jackson in front of them. And then if Lamar Jackson did decide to peel out and try to extend the play, they were there, ready, waiting. I was like, this is phenomenal. Now here's the problem. <laughs> Here's the one problem. I, hey, It was a great design. I was a fan of it. I liked it. I was like, hey, that, that's a good idea. If you want to keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket, here's the problem. Lamar Jackson stayed in the pocket, and he shredded that Rams, out, that Rams defense. You, you can keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket, but you got to remember, oh, uh, the dude can also throw the football too. Lamar Jackson was 15 for 20 passing. He had 169 yards. Not very many, but they ran for a ton. He had five touchdowns. And again, I, I want to say the Rams idea for keeping Lamar Jackson in the pocket was pretty smart. Let, don't have the defensive ends rush up field very far. Keep everything in front of you. If he peels out, go get him. The problem is it gave Lamar Jackson a ton of time in the pocket and he shredded you. It's the, it's the catch 22 with Lamar Jackson. If you bring a pass rush, he'll evade the rush and run for big yards. If you leave him in the pocket, he'll shred you with his arm. I don't know how in the world you beat Lamar Jackson. It's incredible what he's doing. Uh, he got rid of the ball really quickly. He threw the ball really well. And it's really common for people to say. I get a lot of messages. Follow me on Instagram at Zach Schaumler. It's where I'm pretty like the most. It's really the only place I'm active on social media. And a lot of people send me messages saying, you know, Lamar Jackson is an elite runner, but he's not an elite passer. And I, I guess you're right. I, okay, I understand. Maybe he's not an elite passer of the football yet. But he's in year two, and every single time I check in and watch Lamar Jackson. He's better than the time I saw him before. He gets better every single moment I watch him. And it's like, man, that's all you can ask for. (laughs) That's all you can ask for is for steady improvement. He just gets better and better and better. Where's he going to be in three years from now? Five years from now? People say Lamar Jackson's not going to last in the NFL. If he keeps improving as a passer at the rate he's improving, or even if he slows down a little bit but just keeps steadily improving every every game every year, he's going to be a phenomenal quarterback that lasts for 15 years in the NFL. He's really evolving as a passer every time I watch him his accuracy his timing I enjoy watching Lamar Jackson right now his legs are phenomenal and you know again you got to remember he's an elite runner of the football okay don't pass rush him he'll throw on you and if you do bring a pass rush he'll evade the rush and run downfield uh it's really 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 a catch-22 I have no idea I legitimately have no idea how you could stop Lamar Jackson now Here's the number two thing I want to say. My second takeaway for the Rams. It's really hard to win consistently in the NFL. It is. Just any, a lot of times in the NFL, what you see is the, a team gets a really good coach, and they have a good core group of players, and they win a lot with that group of players. Uh, for me, there was a stretch in 2010, 2011, and 2012 where the Rams, or excuse me, the Ravens, I, if I've been saying the Rams all day, you know I meant the Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens had a stretch. 2010, 2011, 2012, they won consistently a lot. They had two 12-win seasons. In 2012, they won the Super Bowl. And it was really, really impressive. And to me, it's interesting because, you know, for a couple of years, those, those dominant seasons were great. And then after those dominant years ended, they were kind of back down to normal. The lowest point was in 2015. The Baltimore Ravens went 5-11. and 11. So it, they were really good for a while. Then they went down, back down a little bit because they lost that core group of players. That, that core group of players, 2011, 2012, 2010, for that little stretch in there, you know, they had Terrell Suggs, Ray Lewis, Joe Flacco at quarterback. They had this group of players that were really, really good. Then all those players left. And this is where you have to give Ravens head coach John Harbaugh, and then honestly, the Ravens organization as a whole, a ton of credit. They lost all those players. In fact, not to mention, this past offseason, they lost... C.J. Mosley, a really good linebacker. He signed a big contract with the Jets. And who's Is it? It's Smith. The Ravens lost to Darius Smith. He signed a big contract with the Green Bay Packers. And then Ozzie Newsome, their longtime general manager. You got to understand, in the history of the Ravens, they have only ever had two general managers. From 1996 until 2018, last season, Ozzie Newsome was the general manager of the Baltimore Ravens. They've had two in the entire history of their franchise. They lost two great linebackers. They lost their longtime general manager. He retired. And guess what? The Ravens, without all those talent, without Ray Lewis, without, they've resurged. They're winning again. It's so hard to win once with a group of players. It's hard to do it again, to have a resurgence and do it a second time. That is a testament to John Harbaugh, the head coach, the baltimore ravens in my opinion he's an elite head coach he's done it with one group of players all those players are gone they have a new group of players he's doing it again with that and then here's the coolest thing it's not just winning with a new group of players the vision of john harbaugh and really the entire baltimore ravens organization to believe in and buy in lamar jackson and say hey He's not a traditional quarterback. In fact, they went from, like, the most traditional quarterback, Joe Flacco. He's tall, got the big arm. He's incredibly boring. He's not—I just don't find Joe Flacco interesting at all. I wonder if he—I literally, literally look at him and go, do you like football? But he's the, the stereotypical, that's the quarterback. The 6'5", big guy, strong arm, It's Joe Flacco. The Ravens said, nah, it's not working. We're done with that. They're willing to walk away from Joe Flacco and turn the league on, on its head and say, we're going to embrace— and support and build around a non-traditional quarterback Lamar Jackson a guy who runs a ton and is tremendously good at running and all the, by the way we're going to develop him as a passer and turn him into a good passing quarterback i i am so i i just am so excited for the Baltimore Ravens and i love what they're doing and it just to me the the word i think of is not only is it again they're building and winning with another group of players it's the vision to see, hey, we have something incredibly special in this guy, Lamar Jackson. He's a great guy. He's a good leader. He works hard. He's making a ton of strides. You know how I know Lamar Jackson is a really hard worker? He's gotten so much better as a passer throughout the time I've watched him. He's doing the work on his own. He's buying into their program. He's listening to the coaching. And the coaching is bought into Lamar. And there is something special in Baltimore with the Ravens. And I just, I I know I'm gushing now. I just have had such a blast watching the progression of Lamar Jackson. I even, like, go back to, I made horrible content two years ago. Like, if you go back and look at my old content, it's crap. It's, it's like I'm trying to be like everybody else in the sports world. I get a lot of flack now where people say, you know, you're just, you don't pick a side enough. You sit on the fence. And it's because sometimes I legitimately don't know how to feel and I'm honest about it. I just always try to be honest. And if you look at my old content two years ago, I was just trying to be like everybody else. I was trying to be like the... The Skip Bayless of the world where I'm trying to be loud and have a hot take. And one of my hot takes at back in the day was Lamar Jackson should switch positions. Idi- idi- idiocy, man. Th- that's just stupid. And that just goes to show I, th- I really think my content has evolved and gotten better in the last two years and improved. And I'm, I'm more myself and I'm more honest. And uh, I know that video is out there. I leave it up. I even monetized it. If you want to go watch it, hey, I'll make money off of it. If people are going to make fun of me, I'm going to make money while they're making fun of me. Uh, but that video is out there. And I just want to acknowledge how wrong I was, man. I just was so wrong. And that's a dumb kid. It was like my first two years broadcasting, Um, you know, similar to Lamar Jackson, right? Lamar Jackson has improved incredibly as a passer in the last two years. I hope that in the next two years, I become a much better broadcaster. And I hope I just keep steadily getting better and better. And, you know, the same way I'm excited to see where Lamar Jackson is five years from now. I'm excited to see where my career is in five years. Am I a better broadcaster? How much better am I? You know, that to me, the progression of a person and the story of someone getting better at what they're doing makes me so excited. And so um, to see Lamar Jackson doing that, oh, it's so awesome. And to have the Ravens believe in him and be okay with doing something different that not everybody else is doing. It's hard to innovate. It's hard for people to embrace. Oh, that's not normal. That's different. For the Ravens to accept that and own that and believe in that and then succeed with that makes me so, so cool. I love watching the Ravens, and I love watching Lamar Jackson. All right, um, let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers. On Sunday night football, the 49ers beat the Packers 37-8. to And, uh, man, they completely shut down the Packers' offense. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers was held to 104 yards passing. He had one touchdown, also had a fumble, and he was sacked five times. He had pressure in his face constantly. And the 49ers defense did a good job getting the Packers into third and long situations, third and, like third and 24, third and eight, third and 13, third and nine, third and 7, just long third down, third and 10, long third down situations. And then in those moments, they brought the heat. They said, we're going to bring a five-man rush. You have five offensive linemen. We have five guys rushing those five guys. It's one-on-one matchups. We're going to win those one-on-one matchups. Aaron Rodgers will be in the turf. And they did that over and over and over again. On third downs, the pressure the 49ers were able to generate was incredible. And man, I I just cannot help but be so impressed with the way that the 49ers have built their football team. I want to remind you guys, a little history lesson, if you will. In 2015, the 49ers' first-round draft pick was Eric Armstead. A defensive end, I believe, out of Oregon. I hope he, I think he went to Oregon. I believe so. But in 2015, they picked the defensive end, Eric Armstead. And then the next year in 2016, with their first-round pick again. So 2015, first-round pick, defensive end. 2016, another first-round pick, another defensive end. They picked DeForest Buckner. Then in January 2017, they hire a new general manager, John Lynch. And his very first move as general manager, he hires in Kyle Shanahan. We're going to bring in Kyle Shanahan, an offensive genius. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator with the Atlanta Falcons. They'd just gone to the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan elevated Matt Ryan, the Falcons quarterback. So far, he won the NFL MVP. They said, okay, we got a guy who understands offense really well. We have a head coach. Now we're going to build a defensive line. So after two years in a row, 2015, 2016, Both times they drafted a defensive end with their first overall first round pick. In 2017, the 2017 NFL draft, what do they do? They draft another defensive end with their first overall first round pick, first round pick with the first round pick again in 2017. They drafted defensive end Solomon Thomas. Now, I I wonder to myself, is Solomon Thomas a bust? Solomon Thomas is in year three of his career. He's played two and a half seasons and he's only got six sacks in his career. And I like look at that and go, okay, Solomon Thomas is not producing very much. There's a couple things you can say. Well, number one, he's sharing the low. They got a bunch of great defensive ends with the 49ers. Maybe he's not getting enough reps. He's playing as kind of a reserve role. The other thing you got to remember is that here's a, here's a huge thing, right? After Solomon Thomas' first year in the NFL, his sister committed suicide. And my brother committed suicide in 2016. Let me tell you, when that happens, your entire life gets derailed everything you're doing, just you you fall apart. And so the fact that Solomon Thomas actually literally still in the NFL is so impressive to me. I, I, I dropped out of college. I fell off the wagon. My entire life fell apart when my brother died. I can't imagine losing your sister. And the fact that Solomon Thomas deserves a lot of respect and you should be very, very careful. I think when you call Solomon Thomas, a bust, it's a guy who to me, it's incredibly still playing in the NFL. Literally. It's like this guy kept it together well enough to keep his career going. When that all was going on, you had to tip the hat, uh, Call Solomon Thomas a bust if you want. To me, it's a guy who was completely derailed. The fact that he's in the NFL is impressive. And I think there's still a chance he's got more career left. He could still get his act together and play even better in the future. So I would be a little bit easier on Solomon Thomas if you want to call him a bust. But again, three years in a row, 2015, 16, 17, the first round pick was a defensive end. Now, uh, in 2018, their first round pick was... Mike McGlinchey, an offensive tackle. Okay, interesting. They're building their team up front. Then in 2019, what do you think they did with their first round pick? That's right. They drafted a defensive end, Nick Bosa out of Ohio State. And then, oh yeah, by the way, who did they trade for? They traded a second round pick for former first round pick. D Ford, a defensive end from the Kansas City Chiefs. They immediately gave D Ford a new contract. And what did that do? That meant the 49ers had five defensive ends that were former first round picks on their roster within the last since 2015. That's incredible. <laughs> right? Like Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, D Ford, five defensive ends all drafted in the first round on the 49ers roster. That is incredible. They got their coach, they built the defensive line, then they got a quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. Since 2015, I know I've beat this to the death. Why are we beating horses? Like, I know I say this is a thing like a saying where you go, I'm beating a dead horse. Well, I don't know why we're beating dead horses. It's just a phrase people use. Uh, but since 2015, the 49ers have almost exclusively drafted defensive ends in the first round. And it's paying off. They're 10-1, and, and they have an incredibly dominant defense. And a defensive line that good works kind of like a mask. If you have average corners, it doesn't matter because the quarterback is on the ground. A quarterback has a hard time throwing passes when he's on his back, when he's got constant pressure in his face. I really like Emmanuel Mosley, Akilah Witherspoon, Richard Sherman's not bad. They're solid corners. They're not elite, but they're made to look like they're incredible because they have a ton of help with their defensive line. Aaron Rodgers was under constant pressure last night, throwing bad passes, inaccurate passes, didn't look like himself. Why is that? Because he's constantly got pressure in his face all the time. A great defensive line can hide a lot of issues and all kinds of problems on your defense and make can make average players look like superstars in the back end and your secondary. A great defensive line is huge. Now, my question, all of this is leading to this. I wonder if other NFL teams are going to begin to copy the 49er strategy. Do you remember how the New York Giants beat the Patriots in two Super Bowls? Both times they had a great defensive line in 2008. They had Michael Strahan, a Hall of Fame defensive end. They had Matthias Kiwanuka, a first-round pass rusher, and they had Justin Tuck. Three great defensive line pass rushers. Oh, guess what? In 2011, another Super Bowl they won. They had Justin Tuck, another, remember, great pass rusher. Jason Pierre-Paul, first-round draft pick pass rusher. Matthias Kiwanuka, another first-round draft pick pass rusher. Pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Have a great defensive line And it hides a lot of issues on your team and makes it really hard for quarterbacks to succeed. If you can get pressure on a quarterback and not have to do a bunch of crazy stuff on defense, if you can just say, hey, our guys are better than your guys. We're going to win one-on-one matchups and get pressure. That is how you win in the NFL, and that's how you win Super Bowls. That has made a huge impact. That's how the Giants did it. That's how the 49ers are doing it this year. My question is this. I look around the NFL. Look at the Bills. They have a franchise quarterback. The Jets have a franchise quarterback. The Browns have a quarterback. The Giants have Daniel Jones, a franchise quarterback. And they're going to all have higher first-round picks this year. What do they do with those first-round picks? In fact, let's look at the Broncos. If Drew Locke is their guy in Denver, they just drafted Bradley Chubb last year, two years ago now. What do the Broncos do? What do, the, what do these teams do, the teams that have quarterbacks? Do they draft defensive lineman? Do they draft a defensive end? And then do they do it again and again and again? Are other teams going to copy the 49ers and begin building their defensive lines the same way the 49ers did, saying, hey, we're just going to get a bunch of te- depth and a bunch of talent. If our guy's tired, send in another first-round draft pick to go sack the quarterback. That is incredible to me, and that is what the 49ers are doing and have done. Is it possible? Will other teams begin to copy that? The NFL draft has a two its really two really talented wide receivers, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. There's a bunch of skilled players in that 2020 NFL draft coming up. Now, for years, the 49ers passed on sexy draft picks. They didn't go get receivers or running backs or this or that and all the... They didn't worry about the flair. The San Francisco 49ers for years drafted very, very boring. They drafted defensive linemen, defensive ends in the first round. And those boring draft picks where you don't go, Oh, that's not an exciting receiver. That's not this. That's not that. <laughs> it's paying off now when they have one of the best records in football and potentially could win the Super Bowl this year. What will other teams do in the NFL draft? Will they draft Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb? Or will they draft defensive linemen and build their team the way the 49ers have done? That is my question. That's what I can't wait to see this year in the NFL draft. What teams make the boring pick? Draft offensive linemen, draft defensive linemen. Look at the Colts. The Colts are a great team this year. What do they do? They built their offensive line. The 49ers, what do they do? They built their defensive line. I think defensive line is actually more impressive right now. I'd rather have a great defensive line than a great offensive line. Um, Really, you need both, though. But, man, drafting defensive line, that's the strategy the 49ers have used. It's paid off. And I wonder if other teams will begin to copy that. Okay. Uh, I want to shift gears now to a game this Sunday that, It just, man, it was a wild, wild game. I had a ton of fun watching it. The Patriots and the Dallas Cowboys played this weekend. And remember, the Patriots were missing a top receiver. The Patriots have been really kind of all over the place with injury-wise. They got rid of Josh Gordon. The Patriots are the least talented team if you line up the Patriots and the Cowboys. The Cowboys are super talented. They have a top receiver, Amari Cooper. They have a running back, Ezekiel Elliott. They have the quarterback, defensive line, linebackers. All the Cowboys have all the bells and whistles. The Cowboys have all the talent, and yet the Patriots won. The Patriots won thirteen to nine. What happened? Why did the more talented team lose? What's the problem here? It's coaching. Coaching cost the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday against the New England Patriots. I would be shocked if the Dallas Cowboys held on to their head coach, Jason Garrett, going into next year. My guess is Jason Garrett, he's been there a long time. He's been mediocre for a long time. My guess is he gets fired. Here's the deal. It won't matter unless they replace him with a great head coach. They need a great head coach. And here's how that happens. The Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, Needs to give up control of that franchise. Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner, he loves control. Oddly enough, the last time the Cowboys had a really great owner, they had Jimmy Johnson. They won Super Bowls. It was incredible. They had a great quarterback, Troy Aikman, great receiver, Michael Irvin. great running back, Emmitt Smith. It's very odd, the similarities to that Cowboys team and this Cowboys team. Quarterback, Dak Prescott, running back, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, receiver, I don't know if they're Hall of Famers, but another, it's another star-studded cast on the offense. Again, the same way you had in the late nineties with the Dallas Cowboys back then. And what happened to that team? Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith. They got rid of their coach. Their coach, Jimmy Johnson, walked away because he was tired of dealing with Jerry Jones. And the guy, Jerry Jones, replaced Jimmy Johnson with Barry Switzer. Not the same. And here's the narrative. Here's the story is that Barry Switzer didn't push back on Jerry Jones. Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones butted heads. They struggled. Jerry Jones said, I'm done with that. I'm going to hire Barry Switzer. He's going to do what I tell him to do. And all that talent was wasted. The end of Troy Aitken's career was wasted. Right now, Jerry Jones has Jason Garrett as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And the story is Jerry Jones can control Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett doesn't push back. Jerry Jones likes that. Right now, Jerry Jones' ego is in the way. It's the problem. It's holding back the Dallas Cowboys. The best owners in the NFL. Hire really smart football people and then get out of the way. Allow those people to do what they're best at. Why is the Cowboys' general manager... Also the owner, Jerry Jones. Does any other NFL team do that? Are there any other NFL teams where the owner's also the general manager? Oh, wait, there's not. There there is not another team like that in the NFL. Because Jerry Jones wants to look like the football genius. I'm the guy who made all these decisions. I built this incredible team. It's me. I won a Super Bowl with my decision-making. I made this all happen. I just want to repeat this. True genius owners. If you want to be the smart owner, here's what you can do. If you want praise from me, Jerry Jones, I think a really smart owner hires people who are smarter than him and then gets out of the way. Robert Kraft in New England hired Bill Belichick, said, I'm going to let Bill Belichick do what Bill Belichick does. I don't even like, I don't think, I really don't think Robert Kraft is comfortable with everything Bill Belichick does. He gets rid of players. He's cold-hearted, but guess what he does? He wins Super Bowls. He puts rings on Robert Kraft's finger. (laughs) <laughs> because Bill Belichick does what he wants. He doesn't have an owner controlling him and telling him what to do. What does the Ravens owner do? He's let Jim Harbaugh work. He let Jim Harbaugh go 5-11, and 11 and he didn't fire him. Jim Harbaugh's winning again with a new group of players. Look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. How many head coaches have they had recently? Like, two? Mike Tomlin, Bill Cowher, in like the last, what, 30 years? Is that literally how, since the mid-90s, literally? Two head coaches since the mid-90s. That's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because their ownership understands, hey, hire a coach. Let him do what he's best at. Let him coach. Paid off. Bill Cowher won a Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin won a Super Bowl. (laughs) The Pittsburgh Steelers figured it out. Hey, we hire smart football people. We get out of the way. Our team wins Super Bowls. Ownership is so important in the NFL. When owners meddle and cause problems. My my favorite TV show in the world, ironically, there's a couple. I love The Expanse. I I love Game of Thrones when it was on. There's a show I've been watching recently that I really, really love. It's Kitchen Nightmares. Kitchen Nightmares and Bar Rescue. John Taffer and Gordon Ramsay. Kitchen, ta- uh, kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay. Bar Rescue with Jordan Taffer. I'm going to steal a line from John Taffer, the guy who runs Bar Rescue. He says, bars fail because of bad ownership. Bad bars happen because of bad owners. That's why people fail. That's why businesses fail because of bad ownership. Bad ownership right now is costing The Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones needs to get out of the way. Hire someone who will push back. The Patriots embarrassed the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys were the far better team, and yet the Patriots won. Multiple situations. I'm going to now explain a couple situations where coaching cost the Dallas Cowboys. There was a situation where it was third and three, and Dak Prescott threw for a first down. but guess what? There was a holding penalty. The play got called back on 3rd and 13. They were unable to convert. So now it's 4th and 13, and they're going to punt. The Cowboys line up to punt. They get a delay of game penalty. Okay, now it's 4th and 18. On 4th and 18, the Cowboys finally are able to punt. The punt goes all the way to the 18-yard line. The Cowboys pin the New England Patriots on the 18-yard line. Well done. Oh, but guess what? There's another penalty. Legal motion. So they go, they go back up again, another five yards, fourth and 23. The punt only goes to the 38-yard line. Now the Patriots have 20 more yards of field position than they should have, and penalties cost the Cowboys multiple times in that situation. Why does that not happen in New England? Here's why. That, that's a situation where multiple penalties like that do not fly in New England. If you do that, if you're the cause of those penalties, you're gone. You're cut. They don't, they don't allow that. There's a higher level of accountability that takes place in New England over Dallas. New England says, we don't stand for that. Dallas says, well, it, it, if it happens, it happens. I mean, here, here's how strict the Patriots are. If you screw up, you're gone. They cut Antonio Brown. They cut Josh Gordon. And here's what's really funny. The Patriots got rid of Michael Bennett and the Cowboys literally <laughs> taking the took the Patriots' trash. The Patriots said, we're done with Michael Bennett. They traded Michael Bennett to, guess who, the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys literally took the Patriots trash. It's so funny. They got embarrassed. They only lost 13-9, to nine, but it was way worse than it looked. Here's another situation. A situation at the end of the game. The Cowboys had the ball first and 10 on the 14-yard line going in. The score is 6-13. to 13. The Cowboys are losing by 7. They need a touchdown. On first and 10... The Cowboys run the ball for three yards. Now it's second and seven from the 11-yard line. You need a touchdown. On second and 10, they throw the ball to the end zone, incomplete. On third and 10, they throw the ball into the end zone, another incomplete pass. That's bad play calling. In my opinion, on third and seven, you go, hey, it's it's a four-down territory. We're not going to throw the ball to the end zone. We're going to get a small chunk here to set up a fourth and short. Throw underneath or run the ball, set up a fourth and three, a fourth and four. They don't do that. They throw the ball to the end zone, incomplete. Now it's fourth and seven. You're down seven points. You need to score, but also that's a long seven, and your offense has really struggled. So the Cowboys make a baffling decision. They say, instead of going for the touchdown here on fourth and seven, we're going to kick a field goal. Here's what happens. If you go for, go for it on fourth and seven and you don't get it, the Cowboys have the ball inside their own 11-yard line. they got to drive all the way down the field. Either way, you're going to get the ball again, probably with better field position against the, against the New England Patriots. Instead, they kick a field goal and they kick it deep to the Patriots. That field goal didn't matter. They lost 13 to nine. They needed a touchdown. And on a day where the Cowboys had struggled to move the ball all night, they assumed we're going to get the ball again and be able to drive all the way down the field and score another score again. It didn't happen. (laughs) They needed a touchdown either way. Even 13 to nine, they still would have needed another touchdown to take a lead. That field goal was inconsequential, didn't matter. It's more bad decision and game management by the Dallas Cowboys. Jason Garrett cost them big time against the New England Patriots. It drives me nuts. It really, really kills me. The Cowboys need a better coach. The Cowboys need better coaching, better situation management, better play calling. And okay, again, I want to go back to this point. (laughs) Let's say the Dallas Cowboys fire Jason Garrett. That thing on my lip. Lips peeling, I hate it. I mean, I've had chaplains for like two weeks. I really, really hate it. Let's say the Cowboys fire Jason Garrett. They still got to hire another good coach. Can they hire, I say another, they got to hire a great coach if they fire Jason Garrett. And the problem is I don't believe Jason, Jimmy, what is it? What the heck is his name? Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys. I don't believe the owner of the Cowboys, Jerry Jones is willing to hire a coach who's going to push back on him. Who's going to say, hey, Jerry, I don't agree with you there. We shouldn't take that player. We shouldn't draft that player. We shouldn't do this. Jerry Jones doesn't need a yes man. He needs someone who pushes back and puts limitations on him. There's a really, really great video game maker, a guy named Hideo Kojima. And, and my, I, I think Hideo Kojima is kind of a genius. However, Hideo Kojima does better when you put limitations on him. When you have a, a company that says yes to everything he does... He makes weird games that nobody understands. He made a game called Death Stranding. Some people love it. Some people hate it. It looks like a hiking simulator. It's very, very weird. But Sony funded that game and said, we're going to say yes. Do whatever you want, Hideo Kojima. And sometimes that's not good. When you have people saying yes to everything you, every idea you have, you sometimes make crap. George Lucas made the Star Wars The Phantom Menace. In meetings to make Star Wars The Phantom Menace, George Lucas got whatever he wanted. He never had people saying, hey, George, uh, Jar Jar Binks is a bad idea. Misa no like that. That's stupid. Hey, uh, we should probably get a guy who can act a little bit to play Anakin Skywalker because he's kind of important. He turns into Darth Vader. Spoilers for uh, Star Wars. Have you never watched? I don't know how (laughs) How you got there. You did not know that. Uh, My point is that limitations are important. Having people tell you no is good. Jason Garrett runs the Dallas Cowboys like a little kingdom and nobody ever tells him no. It's a problem. The Cowboys need a better head coach. Someone who will stand his ground. Say, Jerry, that's a bad idea. I want this player, not that player. And again, the bottom line is the Dallas Cowboys need a better coach. They need, they need a great head coach who can use the talent they have and win more football games. Okay. Um, This topic is going to be fun, man. Oh my gosh. I love my dad. I love my dad so much. My dad loves sports, especially football. And, uh, you know, my dad's a common fan. My dad doesn't actually know sports very well. He just likes them. He enjoys following the storylines. And so I often use my dad as kind of a gauge for trying to understand what the common sports fan believes. And one of the things my dad and I were talking about, I'm gonna, not to call it my dad, it's not intentional, but I'm gonna, I guess call it my dad. My dad was talking to me the, last night and he goes, man, Tom Brady's playing bad this season. And I went, oh, dad, and then dad, my dad and I had like a 15-minute conversation where I just set him straight. It drives me nuts. I I Nothing bothers me more than when people say Tom Brady's playing badly this year. Yeah, Tom Brady's not. He's 42 years old. He's not the same way he was when he was you know, 27. And, and in a few weeks, I'll make a film analysis explaining everything I'm about to say. Uh, yeah, I think people have no idea how much goes in, how much work goes in behind the scenes to make a film analysis video. Uh, it's It's an insane... Herculean effort. Every time you watch a, a film analysis video I make, understand that it takes like 30 hours to make. Well, literally, it's, it's insane how much stuff goes into it between research and editing. And I guess that's all I, I just research, I edit, I watch a ton of, I literally watch hours and hours and hours of film and, uh, and then putting it all together. Someday I'll make a film analysis about everything I'm about to talk about. But bear with me, just hear me for now. Tom Brady's actually not playing awful this season. I know his numbers aren't that great, but there's a reason. And often, not always, but often statistics can be misleading. Numbers, touchdowns, interceptions, completions, sometimes there's a reason why they're bad. And there's a story behind them. And the number, my point is numbers aren't everything. It drives me nuts how much people depend on them and believe in them. I think the Cowboys game on Sunday is a great example. Against the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Brady was 17 for 37 passing. It's a 45% completion percentage. That's pretty awful. That's a lot of incompletions. He had only had only 190 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. And on paper, that is a horrible, horrible, horrible stat line. Here's the reality. Number one, it was raining incredibly hard all game on Sunday. Dak Prescott struggled to throw the ball. Tom Brady had a hard time. And, And really, Tom Brady threw the ball pretty well. His receivers had a hard time catching the ball. Like Even the Dallas Cowboys Hall of Fame tight end Jason Witten had multiple drops. Everybody was dropping passes on Sunday, the Patriots receivers included. They had multiple, multiple dropped passes. So some of Tom Brady's incompletions were drops. Here's the other thing. Some of Tom Brady's incompletions on Sunday were him being smart. I, I said something done Earlier this year, I called the Patriots offensive line of strength. I've watched the Patriots a lot since then. Totally wrong. The Patriots' offensive line is not good. The Patriots' offensive line is awful. They are awful. Regularly, Tom Brady has pressure in his face. He'll take a three-step drop. One, two, three. His third step is in the ground. He's already got pressure in his face. You can't win with that. There's nothing you can do. And so often, Tom Brady's throwing the ball away to avoid a sack. He's getting hit as he throws, and he throws the ball into the stands or into the dirt or away. He just gets rid of the ball to avoid losing six yards. You'd rather have an incomplete pass and hurt your stat line than lose six yards and hurt your drive. Multiple times, Tom Brady against the Cowboys on a scoring drive threw the ball to avoid a sack, and instead of losing six yards, lived to see another down, and then would go on to complete an, an, a pass, get a first down, and then go on to score later that drive. That matters a lot. Tom Brady's incompletions are actually good decisions where he gets rid of the ball and avoids a sack. Here's the other thing. Who is Tom Brady throwing to? (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, The Patriots had an elite wide receiver, Antonio Brown. They got rid of him. They also had Josh Gordon, a really good receiver. They cut him. They traded for Mohamed Sanu. He's hurt. On Sunday, Tom Brady was throwing the ball to Rex Burkhead. They had Rex Burkhead lined up out wide. You know who Rex Burkhead is? Rex Rex Burkhead is a 29-year-old running back who was drafted in the sixth round. He's not physically talented. He's a running back, and he's lined up as a receiver. On third down, Tom Brady's throwing the ball to Rex Burkhead, a running back who's lined up out wide, who's not physically talented. He's not very good. (laughs) That Ryan That's Julio Jones. Tom Brady has Rex Burkhead. He's the third leading receiver on Sunday. And here's an argument that really, really kills me. By the way, Rex Burkhead, nice guy. Like, a lot, cool story, right? Six-round pick. He's not an elite receiver. But here's the argument that drives me. Oh, my gosh. Here, what I'm about to say, everybody says this, and it's just stupid. People say, well, Tom Brady has Julian Edelman. And, you know, Julian Edelman's a great receiver. He won a Super Bowl MVP. I hate this. I like Julian Edelman. He's a good receiver. He is. Here's the truth. Why is Julian Edelman a star? It's because he plays with Tom Brady, because he plays for the New England Patriots. Put Julian Edelman on the Buffalo Bills or the Bengals or the Jaguars, and you would have literally never heard of him. Never. You know who Julian Edelman is because, one, he plays with Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, and two, he plays for the Patriots. He's always on national TV. He's become a superstar because he's a good player for the Patriots. Literally most of his success is right place, right time. I don't want to, uh, he's a cool story, but Julian Edelman played quarterback in college quarterback. He's a converted quarterback playing receiver. He's done a good job. He's a good story. He's incredible. I really, I really enjoy watching Julian Edelman. He's awesome. How hard he works, how much stuff he puts in behind the scenes. Julian Edelman is not Julio Jones. The people will talk about Julian Edelman like he's one of the best receivers in the entire NFL. He's not. He's a very good receiver. Very good is not incredible, not elite, not fan, not amazing. And then let's go back to that. People say, well, he, of course he's really good. Julian Edelman was a Super Bowl MVP. There's not a lot of weight to that, honestly. Uh, David Tyree was once a Super Bowl MVP. He has one catch I remember, literally. He had that one helmet catch in the Super Bowl. He was a backup. That's it. Winning a Super Bowl MVP does not mean you're an elite receiver. It's kind of meaningless. It's like, okay, like he was good in a big moment. Great, one time. If David Tariq can win a Super Bowl MVP, don't use that as an argument for why Julian Edelman must be a great receiver. Drives me nuts, man. It really kills me. Again, a lot of Julian Edelman's success is he's in the right place at the right time. Now, people want to get rid of Tom Brady. (laughs) People, People are like, the Patriots got to move off of Tom Brady. It's time. He sucks. He's awful. Okay. Draft Jacob Eason. Draft, draft the guy out of Washington. Or you know what? Better yet. How about the Patriots draft Jordan Love, the quarterback out of Utah State? Play him next year. <laughs> Jordan Love, by the way, Utah State, has 14 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. He doesn't play efficient football. He's on a bad team with a bad offensive line, and he's bad. But he's, he's really talented, so he'll be a first-round pick. Okay. Tell me what quarterback, other than Tom Brady... Can go ten and one. Tom Brady's ten and one right now, with a bad offensive line throwing passes to Rex Burkhead. Jarrett Stidham, their backup quarterback, can't do that. Brian Hoyer can't do that. I don't think. I don't think Aaron Rodgers could do that. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers with a bad offensive line loses games. Tom Brady is incredible. Tom Brady's not playing pretty football, but it's because he can't. He's throwing the ball into the stands to literally avoid getting sacked and losing six yards. I honestly, I'm not even, not being facetious, not joking. I hope Tom Brady leaves the Patriots. I'm tired of watching Tom Brady not get support from the New England Patriots. They got a great defense. That's the strength of their team. Tom Brady knows it. So Tom Brady plays a style of quarterback to protect the ball. We're not going to turn it over. We're going to score enough points that our defense can hold them and we'll win. We're going to score more points than the other team. Our defense will hold them back. We'll win games that way. A very conservative, safe style of football. Nobody else can do what Tom Brady's doing with a horrible offensive line where literally by his third step, he's got pressure in his face. You, you can't win that way. Only Tom Brady can win that way. Yes, he's 42 years old. He's not the same physically as he once was. He misses a lot of practices. His elbows hurt. I know I sound like a Tom Brady homer. I don't care. I'm telling you, you're wrong. <laughs> you think Tom Brady should be benched? You think you're done with Tom Brady? Okay, again, let me tell you what quarterback in the world can go 10 and one with that Patriots offense. None of the quarterbacks in the draft can. I don't think anybody else in the NFL really could. Tom Brady plays almost mistake-free football. He doesn't take sacks. He's playing efficiently. And he's winning games with Rex Burkhead at receiver. (laughs) Jacoby Myers, an undrafted free agent, who I like. He's not bad. But he's he's not a star. Julian Edelman's a converted quarterback. Even Mohamed Sanu, their other good receiver, he's a converted quarterback. He played quarterback in college. Oh, my gosh. Stop telling me Tom Brady's terrible. Tom Brady's playing great, considering what's going on around him. I rest my case. If you don't believe me now, I'll just make a film analysis in like three weeks. You'll believe me then. All right, now I want to talk about Dak Prescott. I want to be very, I want to be very, very honest about Dak Prescott. I have no idea what to do with him. I, I don't have any idea how to feel about Dak Prescott. I know people get mad at me for not picking a side here. I'll tell you what I believe. I'll tell you all the things that are rattling around in my head. I am torn to shreds. Like, as a, I try to be honest, right? I, tr- I don't try to say opinions just to say opinions. I try to say opinions because that's what I believe. If I'm going to make an argument and strongly believe it, I, I'm gonna, if I'm going to make a case for something, it's going to be because I believe it. I'm not going to be the guy who says, I'm saying this to get views. So let me tell you now, I don't know how to feel about Dak Prescott. It tears him into Some people say, he's got to get paid $35 million a year. We need to give Dak Prescott a gigantic contract. People say, well, you know, the Rams gave Jared Goff a big contract, and the Eagles gave Carson Wentz a big contract. Therefore, hey, we got to give Dak Prescott a big contract to keep up with the times. I don't know if you've noticed this right now. The Rams are 6-5. and five. They're not doing well with their their quarterback, who got a gigantic contract. (laughs) And Carson Wentz got a gigantic contract, and their team is five and six. You want to pay Dak Prescott the way those teams paid their quarterback? Because right now, the Jared Goff contract and the Carson Wentz contract, they look awful on paper. They look terrible. They look like bad decisions. Especially, I think Carson Wentz is talented. Jared Goff looks horrible. Looks like a horrible decision. I don't know why you would give Jared Goff the contract they gave him. Looks like a bad business move. And when I watch film of Dak Prescott, he's not incredibly talented. He's not physically very gifted. He's he's fine. He's good. He's good enough. But he's not the talented guy. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not the guy I'm paying the most in the NFL. I'm not giving Dak Prescott $35 million based on his talent. Now, I do know that here's the thing. You have to ask yourself, are you a fan of the Dallas Cowboys or Dak Prescott? Are you a Dak Prescott fan or a Cowboys fan? Because not always are... Their interests aligned. I don't know that it's best for the Dallas Cowboys. If you're a fan of the Cowboys, I don't know that it's best for them to give Dak Prescott a $35 million contract. I, I, I don't. You want to give Dak Prescott a crippling contract, a contract that will cripple your football team? I don't think you do. Dak Prescott's better with a lot of help with better players around him. He's had inconsistent performances. Week one against the Giants, Dak Prescott was phenomenal. He had 405 yards passing, four touchdowns. I was like, wow. Dak's off to a great start. And then week four against the Saints, he was totally underwhelming. No touchdowns. He had an interception. It wasn't really his fault. But they still lost 12 to 10. Got shut down. Then against the Lions. Later that year, Dak Prescott goes off. 444 yards. Three touchdowns. Wow. Then on Sunday against the Patriots. In the rain. I know it's raining, but look, you got to throw the ball well in the rain. Dak Prescott struggles in the rain. He also had some drops. So I'll acknowledge that. But in the, in the end, Dak Prescott on Sunday finished 19 for 33, 212 yards, zero touchdowns, and an interception. And which, here's, how, here's how controversial and torn up I am about Dak Prescott. Even on Dak Prescott's interception, it's easy to make an excuse. The snap was high. He had to go get the snap, reset his feet, throw the ball. You can say, well, this, the high snap caused the interception. Everything Dak Prescott does has a, like a built-in excuse where you go, I, I'm not really sure. Like, kind of you can explain it away. And then you say, well, not only that, the Cowboys offensive coaching isn't great. Their head coach, Jason Garrett, is not very good. So not a great head coach, but he's not extremely impressive physically. But, you know, I will say Dak Prescott looks better this year than he's looked in the past. So he's making progress. It's kind of a toss-up. I have no idea what to do with Dak Prescott. My heart and my head are torn to shred. Here is the weirdest part. Everybody says, well, the reason why the Cowboys gotta pay Dak Prescott's because the dude just wins games. He just wins. He wins and he wins and he wins. Forget his play on the field. The reason why you gotta pay Dak Prescott on Sundays, he wins football games. Did he win on Sunday? Oh, well, he lost to the Patriots. You know who wins football? You know, the Dallas Cowboys are six and five. But Dak just wins. All all Dak does is win the football games. They're six and five, so not not really true. I know you look at his career. In his career, he's what, 38 and 21. So in his career, he wins games, but not this year. You now he's won does Zach Prescott win games? Well, he, he's won more this year than Carson Wentz. Mm, congratulations, I guess. You know who wins games? Here's the quarterback who wins games Tom Brady. Tom Brady's ten and one. Well, got a great defense, got a great coach. Sure. But Tom Brady wins games. He's probably the greatest quarterback of all time. How much money does Tom Brady make a year? $15 million. Tom Brady makes $15 million. Tom Brady makes $15 million a year. So Dak Prescott the other day was asked, people asked Dak Prescott, what do you think of the MVP award? He said this word for word. He said, the only thing I care about is winning. So if winning MVP means I'm the most winningest quarterback in the league, sure, I want it. But until it means that, I don't care. Is it something cool? It, it's something cool, right? But I want to win games, and that's the most important thing. Dak Prescott says the most important thing to him is winning games. Okay, you want to win games, Dak? I got a plan for you. Sign a $18 million contract. Take a pay cut. Instead of taking $35 million, instead of asking for more than you're worth, Maybe maybe you're worth $35 million. I, I honestly can't tell, honestly. But take an $18 million a year contract and then have room to sign other teammates around you. You can have better players and play on a better team. That's a crazy idea. If you really care about winning and that's all you care about, take a pay cut. I know people get mad at that. I don't care. But you want to play on a more talented team the way Tom Brady used to? He's got a great defense, I guess. They spend money on the defense. I, I don't know. This year, Tom Brady's offensive line is terrible. But here's a question. Is Dak elite physically? No. He's not elite when you watch him on tape. Does he win? Again, he's 38 and 21 as a as a in his career as a as a quarterback. That's great. He's won his division twice. Dak Prescott hey, he's won a playoff game. It's pretty good. More than Andy, I think more than Andy Dalton, right? But so far this year, Dak Prescott's six and five. And I am so torn. And again, people get so mad at me when I don't pick a side. The only time I don't pick a side is when I genuinely cannot tell how to feel. I'm the only person I think in the media who's honest and says, look, there's not a clear answer here. There's just not a clear answer to the Dak Prescott thing. Maybe there is in your opinion. To me, I look at it and go, I, have, I, I just can't see a clear side here. I'm so glad I'm not the one who has to make the decision where you, whether you give Dak Prescott a big contract or not. My feelings change every week. I, my, I, every week I watch Dak Prescott and I go back and forth and I go, some weeks I think he's great, some weeks I think he's not. Here's what it makes me think of. When I buy pants, I, I, go, I go buy jeans. I go to Ross and I buy jeans. I only buy the jeans if I love them. If I really am sold, if I'm like, ah, I'm not sure, I don't spend the money. When I buy, go buy clothes, when I buy anything, really, if I'm like, ah, I'm not really sure, I don't spend the money on it because it's not worth it to me. Unless I'm certain, then I'm going to spend the money. If there's a moment where I pause and I go, mm, I walk away. Dak Prescott makes me go ah, and I pause and I think about it. I'm not so I'm not all in on Dak Prescott, and he makes me hesitate, and that scares me a lot. Should you pay Russell Wilson? Absolutely, fast, immediately, yes. Pay Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely. Dak Prescott? Uh, maybe. Like I guess it's not the same. Absolutely. Now I love Dak Prescott. He's a great leader. He's a good dude. I, I he, he, his interviews are awesome. He seems like a great person, and he wins games. He's thirty and twenty one as a starter. Not this year. He's six and five. But do you want to pay Dak Prescott thirty five million dollars a year? Ooh, that's not what I want to do. That's not what I want to do. But again, you go back to well, there is some doubt. Dak Prescott has a mediocre head coach, Jason Garrett. So, man, my, my, this is my long, long-winded way of saying I have no idea how to feel about Dak Prescott. I'll at least be honest about it. You can get mad at me for saying that. I'll just tell you how it is. I, I don't know what decision to make here. It tears me to shreds. I'm just curious to watch. What happens when the year ends this year and it's time to sign Dak Prescott to a new contract? What in the world will happen? And what's going to happen the rest of this year? Will Dak Prescott. If Dak Prescott balls out the next, I don't know how many weeks are left. Then he probably gets that contract. Who knows? Maybe they won the super. Maybe, maybe the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. I have no. I, I generally don't know. And every week I watch Dak Prescott, I go, he's good, he's bad, he's good, he's bad, he's good, he's bad. It just, it's just like an emotional roller coaster for me. I can't even handle. So uh, I'm not going to say they should sign him. I'm not going to say they shouldn't sign him. I'm going to say I have no idea. I'll be honest about it. When I watch Dak Prescott, I cannot tell you whether he's a great quarterback or not. He makes me go, ah, uh, maybe. That's how I feel about Dak Prescott. All right. uh, Final topic of the day. That was so long, wasn't it? I hope you liked it. I do. Um, If you do, tell me, please. Um, By the way, I want to say, I was going to put this at the end of the show, but I'm going to say it now. Um, For Ask Zach this week, what we're going to do is a podcast entirely dedicated to Ask Zach. On Thursday, I'm recording it. Uh, You can send me Thanksgiving themedly related stuff. Send me Thanksgiving stuff. Say, hey, Zach, I got a story about Thanksgiving or whatever. Whatever question you have, I'll answer it on the show. Uh, go to patreon.com. It's a dollar a month and you can submit a question to Ask Zach. I won't, won't guarantee to read your question, but my goal is to read like, I want to read a lot of questions on the show on Thursday. We're doing an, an episode entirely dedicated to Ask Zach on Thursday and uh, I'm excited for that. So please send in your questions uh, to Ask Zach through Patreon. Uh, and In case you don't know, Alabama's starting quarterback Tua Aloa got hurt and the new guy in town Is a guy named Mac Jones, M-A-C Jones, Mac Jones. He started two games this year. He's 2-0. He beat Arkansas, a team that's 2-9 and terrible. And uh, he beat Western Carolina, a team who's a Division I AA school. They're an FCS team. They play teams like Portland State, Montana State, South Dakota State, Eastern Washington. They're not an an FBS bowl-level team. Now, the truth is when I watch Mac Jones – He has not done anything this year to make me go, he's bad. I don't watch anything that makes me go, oh, you know, Mac Jones is terrible. Nothing like that. But also when I watch Mac Jones, there's nothing that makes me go, oh, he's great. I believe in him. I'm very indifferent to Mac Jones. I don't really know. There's not enough information yet to be clear whether Mac Jones is good enough or not to win in a big game, to win in a game like the college football playoffs. Alabama kind of hides Mac Jones. They run a lot of screen passes. They run, like, Mac Jones and Alabama's roster is so good. Mac Jones can throw a, a two-yard bubble screen. The c- receiver will literally, I saw this against uh, Western Carolina. The receiver catches a two-yard bubble, runs 60 yards up the middle of the field for a touchdown. You're like, okay, Mac Jones, his stat line looks good. He has a touchdown on that play. He did nothing. He threw a two-yard pass. It went forever. And then he's, he's also, his stats are padded with glorified handoffs where they'll run, it's called a, like, a, like a tap pass where they'll put a receiver in motion across, Mac Jones will catch the snap, then flip the ball just very like a two-inch pass to the running back or the receiver. Excuse me, running across the field. Technically, it's a pass. It's really just a glorified handoff. He's compiling stats that way as well. So Mac Jones, not that nothing really to me speaks to it. He's got a couple throws downfield. He's got some good deep balls against Western Carolina. But again, it's important to mention he's throwing to Jerry Judy, who is a top ten pick in the NFL draft. And Jerry Judy's being covered by corners at Western Carolina who aren't even good enough to play in Division 1 AA, Division 1 single A, like, FBS level football. They're playing Division 1, a Division 1 AA school, an FCS school. So, like, the fact that Jerry Judy at top 10 picks burning those guys is not impressive or surprising. It's a matchup you're guaranteed to win. So, on Sunday, we're finally going to learn. Excuse me, Sunday, Saturday. Excuse me. On Saturday, we're finally going to learn how good is Mac Jones. How good is he? Alabama plays their rival number 15 Auburn at Auburn. At Jordan Harris Stadium is what I believe it's called. On Saturday, we are finally going to learn how good is Mac Jones? Can Mac Jones win a big game? Can he make big-time throws downfield when it's needed? And if Alabama gets into the top four, We're going to use the game against Auburn to determine whether or not they can win a game against Ohio State or LSU or Clemson. How good is Mac Jones? Watch on Saturday to find out. Watch Auburn, Alabama. Follow that game closely. That's what I can't wait to see. By the way, totally honest, I'm rooting for Mac Jones. I hope he's awesome. I hope Mac Jones does phenomenal. His interviews, he makes him seem like a really good guy. The way he answers questions, the way he carries himself, Mac Jones, Seems like an awesome human that I'm rooting for. I hope he succeeds. I hope he's phenomenal. But we will find out on Saturday. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. That's all I have. Uh, the last topic of the day is this. a topic I do every episode. If you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, three years ago, my younger brother died. He took his life, committed suicide. And uh, it was heartbreaking. Awful, awful thing. And uh, that experience taught me two lessons. Number one, if you're struggling, please go get help go get help if you're having a hard time if you're struggling go talk to somebody go see professional help the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255 the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255 if you're struggling go get help my brother never told anybody my brother suffered in silence one day i went to my house and or my dad's house and i found him dead on the floor now here's a, a really important detail the other lesson i learned um my brother and I hung out every week. We played, we had a night, we'd had Halo night every week where I would drive my Xbox over to their house. We'd play Halo on the TV in the living room. And we'd hang out once a week at least. And we also worked together. I saw my brother all the time. And my brother and I always had very shallow conversations. How's life? How's football? We talked about sports and movies and video games. Like, that's it. And I didn't make it clear enough to my brother, hey, I'm there for you and I love you and I care about you. And if you need to talk, we can talk. I didn't do a good enough job having deeper conversations with my brother. I was like, I just didn't open up before and say, hey man, I'm here for you and I love you. If you ever need to talk about something, we can talk. Tell the people in your life you love them. I didn't do a good enough job of that. Tell the people in your life, hey, I care about you. I love you. I'm here for you if you ever need it. Don't be afraid to break down the barriers and have a conversation with a little more depth than just football and video games and movies. I encourage you, man. If you're you're struggling, go get help. And then tell the people in your life you love them, you care about them. And you're there for them but they're having a hard time. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. This has been Strong Opinion Sports. again. Once again, uh, thank you to Bespoke Post for sponsoring this episode. Again, uh, new subscribers to their service can get 20% off their first box with promo code STRONG20. That's all caps, STRONG20. Again, thank you so much to BespokePost.com. Hope you have a great day. Bam, bam bum bam we are done.